Hello there, folks. Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Undercover Bubble Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Moore, and I want to thank you all for joining me today to take a deep dive into this interesting thing that we call the conservative media bubble. So, first off, I want to apologize for getting the timing wrong last week. Today is August 22nd, 2020, and we've got a little over two months to go before the presidential election. And uh, last time I said it was a little under two months. What I meant to say was a little under three months. So again, I apologize for that. And I do sincerely hope that I am not your only source of political news, especially about the news on the right. Because while I do try and report what's going on in the conservative bubble, you do have to sort of take that with a grain of salt because all the information I'm getting is indeed from the bubble, unless I specifically say otherwise. So... I do hope that if you are reading political stories, you fact check them. And there are two sites that I recommend for that. I recommend that you go to factcheck.org and politifact.com. Fact check is a little more uh, involved. They have very long articles basically explaining every single little detail of a story and why it's true or false. Whereas PolitiFact is a little more compact and they have this handy little meter that goes everywhere from true to pants on fire lying. So, and you can guess where Trump is on that scale most of the time. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to go ahead and just move on to the big story of the week, which is really the main thing I'm going to be talking about for the next two weeks, the two party conventions. So the Democrats had their convention this week and the Republicans are going to have their convention next week. So. What I'm going to do for the next two weeks is pretty much focus exclusively on these two conventions because, you know, times are quite different from what they normally would be. Rather than huge cheering crowds in a packed stadium, we get mostly people talking from their houses or from some sort of historic location like Barack Obama did. And it's only really Joe Biden and Kamala Harris themselves who actually spoke at the convention where they had people watching. So the Democrats are pretty much doing everything right when it comes to combating COVID and showing how to combat COVID. So everyone was social distanced, everyone wore masks who wasn't talking. And when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were done talking, they remained socially distant except with their spouses. And when they went anywhere other than the stage, they put their masks on. So one of the interesting things I'm going to be very uh, intrigued to see is what happens with the Republican convention and whether they follow any of these social distancing or masking protocols. And I'm guessing, uh, just off the top of my head, no, they won't. There will probably be a big cheering crowd. There probably won't be any masks whatsoever. So I'm just predicting that right now. And if you ask me, that's not a great look for them because the majority of Americans do not approve of the way that Trump is handling the pandemic. The majority of Americans want a national mask mandate. The majority of Americans support social distancing and would rather the schools and non-essential businesses remain closed until COVID has been taken care of. So, like I said, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But the Democrats did have their convention this week. So I'm going to be going through how the conservative bubble and Fox News in particular, because they were really the only ones that actually carried it, reacted to the Democratic convention each night before, during and after. So let's begin with night one, which was Monday. The prime speaker spot was Michelle Obama. 
And the first thing I noticed when I turned on Fox News to watch the DNC was that they weren't really showing the DNC. They basically just had it in a small window in the corner for about 60 or 70 percent of the time that it was on. And it was just showing what the DNC was showing. And I would periodically flip back and forth between Fox News and the local Spectrum channel, which was actually covering the DNC and showing it in its entirety. And there was some very cool things going on. Like there were some musical guests and some interesting uh, speakers that you might not have heard from otherwise. But if you were watching Fox News, you wouldn't have gotten any of that because for probably about 80% of the convention, maybe even more than that, all they showed was a small square in the corner of the screen off where nobody looks anyway just saying that the DNC was happening and just displaying the stream, the video stream of the DNC in that small screen. But you didn't hear anything. It was muted because all you had were the usual pundits of Tucker Carlson and Hannity talking over the DNC and basically talking about how terrible it was going to be and how much they were going to divide our country and how they were expecting that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris would speak terribly and this would be a huge boon for Republicans. And, you know, basically the usual sort of stuff that we hear from the conservative bubble when it comes to talking about Democrats. So, again, if I wanted to actually watch what was going on in the DNC, I would have to flip over to my local Spectrum channel, which was showing it in its entirety without any sort of interruptions or anything other than commercials when they actually went to a commercial break. So it'll be interesting to see how they cover the RNC next week. And spoiler alert, I'm pretty sure they'll probably give it a lot more airtime than they did the DNC because, you know, this is Fox News we're talking about. But the interesting thing was that when I went on their website while the DNC was going on, they had no link to watching it, even though they committed to covering both sides conventions equally. There was no link to the actual DNC on Fox News or, for that matter, anywhere in the conservative bubble. It was just a couple of stories on the fact that it was happening and maybe some opinion pieces on what might be expected. And once the convention started, pretty much all that was posted up in relation to it were negative stories about the speeches and the guests that they had on, mainly Andrew Cuomo. Like They had so many hit pieces on Andrew Cuomo, I can't even begin to describe it. And of all the conservative websites that I went to during the convention, only one of them actually actively covered it. And that was Breitbart. They were actually live tweeting the DNC, which is commendable. And not only that, when I looked at the live tweets themselves, it was actually a fairly reasonably detailed, neutral look at what was actually happening. They were just basically stating exactly what the speeches were saying, what was happening on the DNC screen, and not interjecting any opinion into it. So if you were looking at just the actual live tweeting, it was a fairly accurate account of what was happening. But the interesting thing was when you went to the Breitbart website itself, the first main story they had was a link to the live tweeting, but every time there was a link to the live tweet of the DNC... It was always headlined with some sort of negative portrayal of the Democrats or some guest that they had in the DNC or the DNC itself. For example, that night, it was headlined with 
a snooze fest bashing Cuomo. So that was the only website in the conservative bubble that actually covered the DNC actively. But they did so from a very skewed perspective as far as the headline goes. So anyway, moving on to the actual content of the first night of the DNC. Again, I didn't see much of it because it was being muted in the corner by Fox News. But what I did see, it seemed like the Democrats on the first night really wanted to focus on Trump and how much harm he'd done and how bad for the country he was and what the stakes were if he got reelected. And they sort of portrayed it as being at a crossroads and we could go down one path or we could go down a different path. And nowhere was this analogy more apparent and taken more literally than in the intro to John Kasich's speech. And he was a Republican who, among other Republicans, agreed to speak at the DNC in support of Joe Biden this year. So the interesting thing is Fox News, like I said, for the most part, just kept it muted and down in the corner while they talked about Trump. But when someone important came on, like John Kasich, like Michelle Obama, they'd stop whatever they were doing, put the DNC up on the full screen and actually carry the speech. And they did this with John Kasich because he was the highest profile Republican to speak at the DNC this year. And so, as I was saying, nowhere was this analogy that they were trying to put out more apparent than in John Kasich's speech, where he stood at a literal crossroads in the middle of a field saying that we were at a crossroads. And the angle that he took to show these crossroads, I can only describe as music video-esque. It was almost like a performance piece. (laughs) So I understand what he was trying to do with the analogy, but it ended up being a little too on the nose for my liking, and Fox agreed. But anyway, he basically just said what everyone expected he was going to say, which was, I've been a lifelong Republican, but I don't see the Republican Party in Donald Trump. So I'm going to vote for Joe Biden because he's a reasonable man. And so the only other speeches that Fox News actually carried and showed in their entirety were Bernie Sanders and Michelle Obama. And I thought Bernie did okay. I thought he did a good job of trying to convince his former supporters to now support Joe Biden. But if I'm being completely honest here, Michelle Obama's speech was, in my opinion, the best speech I have seen in the last decade like she completely outdid herself in 2016 and her 2016 speech was pretty incredible too but michelle i'm saying it right now michelle obama's speech at the 2020 dnc will probably go down in history as one of the greatest speeches ever given at a convention and when it came time for the fox folks to react they actually agreed pretty much all of them said that michelle obama gave an incredible speech She talked like a stern mother and thought it was phenomenal and heartfelt. And in their words, Michelle Obama flayed, slayed, sliced and diced Donald Trump. And the interesting thing about that is throughout the entire speech, Michelle Obama said Trump's name once. And this isn't something that Fox News noticed. This is actually something that I picked up on while I was watching the speech. She only mentioned his name once. And all the other times she talked about him, it was in a more broad, general sense of the sort of politics that he's been supporting, which is the politics of divisiveness and hatred and distrust. And so her speech just brilliantly combined 
the narrative of we need to get away from this type of politics with we need to get back to a type of politics that is more positive and compromising and just forward thinking. And she did a really, really good job of trying to convince people that Joe Biden was the way forward. But the lone criticism that I had, and actually of all the people on the panel who talked about Michelle Obama's speech after it was done on Fox News, there was one Democrat they had who was Donna Brazile. And she, of everybody they had on the panel, and they had a bunch of uh, conservative pundits, including Karl Rove on this panel, and they all thought it was a fantastic speech and had nothing bad to say about it. It was Donna Brazile, the Democrat, who had the lone criticism, which was that she never mentioned Kamala Harris's name once. And at first, I didn't think that was a huge deal, but then I was like, you know, she maybe should have mentioned her name because she is, after all, the first black woman to be nominated to a major party ticket for president or vice president. And Michelle Obama, also being a woman of color, didn't mention this. And so Donna Brazile thought that that was a little bit unusual. But that was really the only criticism that anybody on that initial Fox panel had of Michelle Obama's speech. They all thought it was fantastic, and so did I. But then that panel ended, and their coverage of the DNC ended, and who should come on right afterwards but Laura Ingram, or as my roommate likes to call her, Queen Karen. She said that Michelle Obama's speech and the DNC's first night in general were nothing more than the obvious Democratic cliches that they've been throwing out against Trump all year long. They showed a montage, a very carefully cut montage, of Democrats saying how divided our country was and her point was that because the Democrats are saying we're so divided, that means that they don't want us to be united again. They want us to stay divided because that's how they get in power and execute their socialist agenda. And of course, she failed to mention that in all of those clips that they showed, each one of them, after they said how divided we were, expressed hope for reuniting in the future under a more positive banner. But of course, she didn't mention that. She was all about how the Democrats were the party of no and the party of divide and the party of violence. And she harped a lot on the fact that they didn't talk about the violence going on in the streets, except they did. They just talked about it from the angle of the people who are angry about the fact that they're getting killed constantly by policemen and disproportionately, this is happening to people of color, and that's why they're in the streets protesting. But she didn't talk about that. She just said that the Democrats painted this terrible, ugly picture of America as a dystopian, racist hellscape. Not mentioning once that every Democrat that they showed expressed hope that we could get through this together. But anyway, her other big beef with the DNC's first night was the fact that they had all the Republicans on to support Biden. And her question, and she actually had Ed Rendell on as a guest during this segment, she asked, why would they try to appeal to Republicans when it's been shown that 95% of them already support Trump? And Ed Rendell, to his credit, actually answered this the exact same way that I did, which is, if we can convince 2 to 3% of Republicans, even if that is, by definition, a very small amount, to join Biden instead of voting for Trump, that could swing the election in some of the swing states. That could be enough to 
bring Biden from 48% of the vote to 51% of the vote. So it's not a lost cause to try and get some of these Republicans who don't like Trump to switch over to Joe because it could literally be the difference between winning and losing the election. So that kind of stopped Laura Ingram in her tracks on that question. And she gave that sort of steely eyed glare that she loves to give guests when they contradict her. And then she brought in Eric Trump, who just absolutely laid into the Republicans who had betrayed Trump and voted for Joe Biden, but also throwing Kamala Harris in there, too, because as we know from last week and the announcement of her being VP, the Republicans cannot stand the fact that she hammered Joe Biden in the primaries over legitimate issues and then later on after she had dropped out decided to change her tune and join him like they feel like that's an absolute betrayal of who she is and how could joe biden do that to himself and yeah we we already went through that last week so when they had eric trump on and he got to address both this and the republicans who left trump for biden he said something quite telling which was that when you are supporting a candidate, you can only be one or the other. You can only fully support a candidate or you can fully not support a candidate. And if you ask me, I think this really says a lot about how the Republicans prioritize loyalty above all else. And I think this is why Trump was able to not only get so popular, but maintain this popularity throughout this absolute disaster of a presidency that he's had. Because for the Republicans, either you are with us or you are against us. Either you are for this policy that we have or you are against this policy that we have. You cannot change your mind in the middle of it. You can't be somewhere in the middle. You cannot compromise. It's always either fully with us or fully against us. And in the immortal words of the Star Wars prequel trilogy... Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Because in the conservative bubble, you are never under any circumstances allowed to change your mind on an issue. You are never under any circumstances allowed to challenge the thinking of the main people in the party on an issue or a candidate. And you're never allowed especially to say anything bad about anybody who is considered a main part of the conservative bubble. And this is a point that really concerns Trump right now because, let's face it, the Republican Party has sort of become a cult of personality for Donald Trump. But it also applies to anyone who's considered an important source of information or power, like Mike Pence, like Rush Limbaugh, like Sean Hannity, anyone who either gives out information to be used in the bubble or uses it to reinforce viewpoints being made in the bubble. And this point was actually illustrated perfectly when later on in the show, Laura Ingram had Ted Cruz on as one of her other guests. And, you know, he said the usual stuff that we hear in the conservative bubble of the Democrats are inciting violence. They want nothing to do with unity and peace. They want to maintain a socialist agenda and take it by force, that kind of thing. But then in the middle of the interview, Ted Cruz said, again, something that was just very telling about the Republican Party today. And ironically, he was talking about the Democrats when he said it. But he said something like, 
when the Democrats have a message, every one of them across the country repeats it word for word. And the conservative bubble, the Republicans wouldn't know anything about that because the conservative bubble, and I've learned this from having been in it for over a month now, it's an echo chamber. It's basically just taking whatever viewpoints that it thinks will reinforce this idea that conservatism is the only way and any other way is completely dangerous to humanity. It specifically funding studies and polls and pundits that reinforce this idea and double down on it so that when you're in the bubble, this is all you see. And unless you have some alternative source of information that tells you otherwise, it's all you believe. And even if you do have an alternative source of information giving you what I would consider real facts and real stories, the echo chamber says, eh, don't worry about them. That's fake news. They, they don't have the right facts. Our facts are the right facts and their facts are not facts, as I like to say. So I just thought that was a perfect example of the conservative bubble in a nutshell and how it just reinforces these viewpoints relentlessly. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next day. And I'll be honest with you. I did not watch day two of the Democratic convention, not because I didn't want to watch it or because I didn't care or anything like that, but because I'm a Laker fan and it was night one of the playoffs for the Lakers and I wanted to see that first game. And the time slot happened to coincide exactly with night two of the DNC. So my apologies. I didn't get to watch it. The Lakers lost. It was terrible. And I felt really bad until the next day when I got to see day three. And just like with the first day and on the fourth day too, so I don't have to mention it again, for most of the time they were showing it, it was just sitting in the corner of the screen muted and they were all just talking about regular conservative bubble stuff and how great Trump was. So I'm just going to skip right ahead to the reactions to the speeches. And for day three, it was Barack Obama this time. And personally, I thought he did a good job. It wasn't as good as Michelle's, but... I thought he did a solid job of making the case for voting for Joe Biden and basically bringing some of that trademark charisma and gravitas to a speech where he actually lambasted Trump quite a bit, like way more so than he normally does, because there's a sort of unwritten tradition that the previous president is not supposed to speak ill of the current president, but he did not follow that rule with this speech. He laid into Trump on everything from the mail-in ballot controversy to his handling of COVID. And again, I thought he did a good job. Wasn't as good as Michelle's, but I mean, that night one speech by Michelle Obama was pretty hard to top. So anyway, the panel didn't have much time to talk about Obama's speech because Kamala Harris was right after him. And like Obama, I thought she did a solid job. Not phenomenal, but good enough. And all they said about Obama's speech was that it was curious that he barely talked about Joe Biden, which is untrue. He spent at least a good four or five minutes on his speech talking about his friendship and camaraderie with Joe Biden. But most of what they talked about between Obama's speech and Kamala's speech was about the tweets that Trump sent out during the speech, which were basically about all the gripes that he's had with Obama over the last few years all in all caps, like he spied on my campaign and got caught, 
Why did he refuse to enjoy Slow Joe until it was all over, and even then it was very late? Why did he try to get him not to run? And I'm pretty sure that is not what happened. I'm pretty sure Obama endorsed Biden as soon as it was clear that he was the front runner. And the comment about Obama not wanting Joe Biden to run, I think that's just a complete lie. I'm pretty sure that Obama would never say anything of the sort. But anyway... They spent most of the time talking about that, and then Kamala Harris spoke, and then once she was done, the panel came back on and discussed the whole night. And like me, they thought, for the most part, that Kamala Harris's speech was solid, but not necessarily memorable. I will say there were definitely more attacks on Trump in that speech than I think any other speech I heard in the convention, and, you know, rightfully so. This is Kamala Harris we're talking about. She's the VP. She's supposed to be the one who's on the attack. And that's sort of in her character and in her position as the running mate on the ticket. So, you know, it's understandable that she'd be on the offensive the whole time. But according to Britt Hume, or Mitch McConnell Light, as I like to call him, the speech was all about getting out and fighting. And because of this, it means that the Democrats must be completely desperate to take on tactics like this. They must be completely flabbergasted by how well Trump is doing, and the only way they might even have a fighting chance at winning this thing is to just go all out on the offensive on Donald Trump. And he even said, like, they seem to be in such a good position poll-wise, you wonder why they seem so uncertain. And my answer to that is, they're not. They're just attacking Donald Trump because that's what the base wants, and that's what everyone wants Kamala Harris to do. They want her to be the attacker. They want her to be on the offensive. They want Biden to be the guy that brings everybody together. And they want Kamala Harris to be the one that calls out Trump for all the terrible things that he's done. So this is this is not a sign of desperation. This is not a sign that things are not going well for the Democrats. This is just regular election politics that we've seen every year. But my favorite comment came from Karl Rove, who said something to the effect of it was a pedestrian speech which it wasn't, it was a solid one, and that it was ironic that she talked about Trump enriching his family when Joe Biden was on the ticket with his son Hunter Biden. And just the amount of hypocrisy in that statement is completely mind-boggling. This is Donald Trump we're talking about. You know, Trump, the guy who puts his name on everything he creates, and basically built a billion-dollar empire on his name. And you don't think Donald Trump Jr. gets in on that? He runs the company. You don't think Eric Trump gets in on that? You don't think Ivanka gets in on that? You don't think that the sons and daughters of the man himself don't benefit from the fact that he has this billion-dollar empire with his name on it, and they share that name? It's it's completely hypocritical. I won't go into it more. So anyway, the panel only lasted about five minutes for day three. And then, because I guess it was running a little bit late, they went right into Laura Ingram with their big red Fox News alert. And then came on Laura Ingram, who described it as one of the most dreary visions of America ever presented. All sizzle, no steak. And then that Joe has two running mates, Kamala Harris and covid so just hopping on that train of the only reason trump's doing bad is because of covid and you know what she does have a point 
I do sort of agree with the fact that if it wasn't for how badly he'd handle COVID-19, he'd probably be doing a lot better in the polls and frankly would probably be ahead and slated to win this November. But that's not the point I'm trying to make here. What I'm trying to say is that Laura Ingram is flat out accusing the Democrats of politicizing COVID-19 when in fact the Republicans and the conservative media bubble in particular have been doing it all along. Remember how masks were violating our personal freedoms and stay-at-home orders violate freedom of religion and that COVID-19 vaccines are a cover for inserting microchips into our skin, courtesy of Bill Gates, who wants to take over the world with his Satanist pedophiliac cabal of elites and Hollywood celebrities, and I'm not even going to get into it more. The point is that Republicans have been trying to politicize COVID far more than the Democrats have. And all the Democrats have really done is just said the obvious, which is let's take a look at COVID death rates for America versus the rest of the world. And let's see what the rest of the world has done in regards to a universal federal response to the COVID pandemic against the United States, where we basically haven't really had one. And it's because Donald Trump has politicized this virus in every way imaginable since it started ravaging our shores. Testing? It's a democratic conspiracy to make things look bad for me. Mail-in voting because it's not safe to vote in person right now? It's a democratic conspiracy. We have the best testing numbers in the world and the best deaths in the world and the best recorded cases in the world. And if we had less testing, we'd have less cases and that would make us even more better. And I mean, the list just goes on and on and on about how Trump has tried to use this COVID pandemic to his own benefit. And it's kind of hilarious that he has because his horrific handling of it is what's causing him, for the most part, to lose votes. And the interesting thing is, going back to Laura Ingram and the panel, is that most of the comments that I saw after the speeches were done seem to hype up this hyperbole that Trump loves to throw out there whenever he mentions COVID-19. They were talking about how there's going to be vaccines coming faster than you can ever believe, how before the election's over, this thing's going to disappear like a miracle. Yep, that sounds familiar, right? And that's really all I have to say about day three. It was just more of the same that we've been hearing from Fox News and company. And again, all the websites were the same way, barely any coverage, except on Breitbart, who actually did cover it fairly neutrally on their Twitter account. But the link to that Twitter account on their website, as well as all the stories that they mentioned, pretty much showed exactly where they like to skew things. So anyway, let's move on to day four, which I did actually watch, even though the Lakers were on too. I had them on in the background while I watched the entire thing, not just the end and the reactions to everything. I watched because it was such an important night, because everybody, including myself, knew how crucial it was for Joe Biden to nail his speech. I wanted to see exactly what Fox News thought was going to happen and what they thought of things once they did. Plus, the Lakers blew out the Trailblazers that night, so I didn't really have to watch the game. I could focus mainly on Fox News. So I started watching exactly when the DNC came on, and like with the previous nights, they put it down in the corner and muted it while Hannity and company talked. And... The first thing that Hannity did was he had on a guest who, and we all know that Fox News loves to do this, 
has their own show on Fox News at another time during the week. It was Mark Levin who literally read off the Democrats' platform line by line. And I read the platform too, and it's pretty uh, standard, I would say, about what I would expect. Definitely further left than it has been in the past, but still very much acknowledging that the what Fox would call radical leftists have not taken over the party just yet. But anyway, Levin read the entire platform, or at least a good amount of it, line by line, and after each line, he would deliver some sort of scathing rebuke of it. But at the end of it, he said something to the effect of any one of these proposals by this crazy Marxist left-wing coalition would harm this country irreparably, and if they win, America won't be America anymore. It will be a police state which is kind of ironic because they always talk about how the Democrats want to abolish the police. So how can it be a police state if we've abolished and defunded the police? (laughs) The logic makes absolutely no sense. But, you know, this is nothing new coming from the conservative bubble. It's not about logic. It's about what you feel inside. It's about truthiness, as Stephen Colbert would have put it. And my other favorite part of the interview is... He talked when he was talking about climate change, he actually blamed the Democrats for all the rolling blackouts that are happening in California right now. You know, not because there's a massive heat wave going around that puts strain on power lines. It's the Democrats fault. (laughs) It's the Democrats fault. The weather is so bad. And like, honestly, who listens to this and actually takes it seriously and believes it? And then as soon as I think that I realize, oh, yeah. I'm in the conservative bubble. So around at least 30 to 40% of America believes this. So I don't want to speak ill of my fellow countrymen, but to quote George Carlin, think about how dumb the average American is and realize that half of them are dumber than that. (laughs) So anyway, after this happened, Hannity had a huge segment that took up almost the entire rest of the show where he had Trump on the phone and talked to him live. And it was interesting that during this segment, they didn't show the DNC at all. Normally, they would have put it in the corner of the screen and muted it. But during the Trump segment, they did not at all carry it whatsoever, even though they promised that they were a fair and balanced organization that carried both conventions equally. So already that promise is being broken. But anyway, he talked to Trump a lot about not so much the DNC as what the Democrats were saying, because he did ask, you know, have you been watching the DNC? And Trump said, oh, not much. I haven't seen much of it. So he mainly talked about what the Democrats were proposing and sort of the platform in general. And similar to every time that I've seen Trump on the show, Hannity asked him hilariously leading questions. And I won't go through what an example of that is. I'm sure you all know the drill by now. But when he asked about the protests and defunding the police and all that. Trump didn't even try and hide what he really thought. He straight up called the protesters thugs. And if you've been playing Fox News bingo, that is one of the clues is that someone on Fox calls black people thugs. And he was once again asked whether or not he thought Joe Biden was senile. Another thing they love to discuss on Fox News. And He came closer than he ever has to outright saying, yes, Joe Biden is senile. He didn't say it, but what he did say was that it was pretty obvious what was going on. Again, Joe Biden's speech later that night 
definitely proved that not only is he not senile, he is 100% healthy and ready to fight. So that statement got shut down pretty quick. And if anything, Trump showed that he was the one that was kind of going a little off the deep end. Hannity would ask him questions about things on the platform or a candidate stance or something like that. And Trump would just go off on these wild, unrelated tangents as he is known to do. For example, when he was discussing his relationship with dictators like Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin and President Xi of China, he suddenly and inexplicably went on a long and completely unprovoked rant about the Democrats wanting to take away your Second Amendment. It made absolutely no sense. He literally just pivoted right from that subject to the Second Amendment. It's almost as though he thought he was in a campaign speech and could just say whatever he wanted. And let's be honest, he kind of could because this is Hannity we're talking about. Hannity's his biggest fan. Hannity asked these ridiculously leading questions. He enhances and promotes the conspiracy theories that the president believes in. And this was on full effect when he asked about voter fraud. And he did this with a very leading question that sounded something like, given that the Democrats are trying to push through this postal service funding bill so that they'll be able to get more mail in votes and steal the election from you. What do you think about this proposal? (laughs) And Trump, of course, answered, well, they're going to have lots of voter fraud. It's going to be the most fraudulent election in history. Nobody's had more voter fraud on them than me. And then he said something very interesting. He specifically pointed to there's going to be 51 million ballots sent out by the Democrats, and we don't know who they're going to be sent to. And throughout the, the rest of the interview, he kept repeating this. He kept repeating 51 million ballots, 51 million ballots, 51 million ballots. And I thought this was interesting. This is the first time he's ever said any sort of concrete information about this conspiracy theory. So I decided to look it up. I just Googled 51 million ballots, Trump, and other similar searches. And to no one's surprise, I didn't find any information anywhere that pointed specifically to this number. So the only conclusion I can come to about it is that he's just completely pulling it off the top of his head. He's making it up. Because this specific number, like he was so specific about it that you would think that somewhere you'd be able to find some sort of website or article that backs it up that gives him this number. But not even anywhere in the conservative bubble was I able to find anything like that. So that's my conclusion. He's just completely making it up as he's making up the whole voter fraud thing just as an excuse to be able to say if he loses, oh, the election was rigged. I don't accept the results. So as I said, that interview took up most of Sean Hannity's airtime. And once that was over, they went back to their coverage with the panel that they'd had the last three nights of the DNC itself. And they actually showed most of the last hour because it was mostly just keynote speakers. And Joe Biden's speech took a while, too. So personally, I thought Joe Biden did exactly what he needed to do in his speech. He lashed out at Trump while not once mentioning his name which I thought was brilliant because Trump, the one thing that he feels like he has over everybody else in politics or not is his name. 
He's made his entire living on his name. He's made his entire political career on his name. And the fact that Joe Biden doesn't mention this name a single time is in his entire speech. I would guess that probably infuriates him. But anyway, I thought Joe Biden did a great job. He delivered a fantastic speech and he delivered it forcefully. And I think that was more important than anything else, because the main narrative that I've seen in the Trump bubble, in the conservative bubble, is Joe Biden's old. Joe Biden's frail. Joe Biden's mentally unstable. He's unfit to be president. Meanwhile, Trump is strong. He's got these big, broad shoulders. He's carrying the weight of the world. And Joe Biden not only completely disproved these assertions, he completely knocked it out of the park. He never once stuttered. He never stumbled on words. He never slurred or did anything that Fox News loves to make fun of him for. He spoke directly to the people. He spoke forcefully to the people. And most importantly, the message that he sent was not so much we need to beat Trump as we need to move on from this terrible four years of division. And I want to be the one to help you do that. And that was exactly the message he needs to send. Because everyone else who had talked the three days before, they'd already bashed Trump enough. And he did bash Trump plenty. But like I said, he never mentioned his name. And so he made it more about himself, not so much why Donald Trump shouldn't be president, but why Joe Biden should be president. And I thought he did a very good job doing that. And actually, I think the moment afterwards, when he and Kamala Harris and their spouses all put on their masks and went outside to the people in the parking lot and they all started flashing their emergency flashers. I think that moment, if he wins, will go down as sort of a pivotal moment in the history of this country when we decided that we weren't going to go down this path of authoritarianism anymore. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's just go ahead and get to the good stuff of what the panel and Laura Ingram thought of it afterwards. And they thought the same thing I did, that it was a very good speech, very well done. He showed, most importantly, that he had energy and vigor and wasn't afraid to back down from the fight. And actually, the best quote that I heard from the panel, I don't even remember who said it at this point, was, the president now knows that he will have to run not against a caricature, but against a candidate. And I thought that pretty much summed up exactly what I thought he did and what he needed to do. Because the conservative bubble has been portraying Joe Biden as somewhat of a caricature. He's old, he's cranky, he's losing his touch, he's getting senile and a little physically frail, and he didn't look any of those things when he delivered his speech and then walked on the stage outside to wave to everybody. He didn't look that way at all. And the panel, including all the Republican folks, thought that that was the case too. Even Karl Rove liked it. He didn't have anything bad to say about Joe Biden after that speech. I was pleasantly surprised. But then, of course, we got to Laura Ingram, And the first words out of her mouth were, so wraps this convention of misery. Although, even she thought that Joe Biden did a good job delivering his speech. But one thing that she did hate on, and that everybody, for that matter, at Fox News hated on throughout the convention 
and I find this really weird, was the teleprompter. Literally everybody who talked about Joe Biden, especially after he gave his speech, said something to the effect of, but he used a teleprompter, even though he used a teleprompter. Oh, well, he did a great speech, but he read it off a teleprompter. What is up with all the hatred for the teleprompter? I don't get it. I know that Donald Trump's big thing is that he likes to speak off the cuff and go off the teleprompter, but as we've seen countless times in his presidency, this is not always a good thing. Like when he went off prompt to say that he favored President Putin over his own intelligence community. Like when he went off prompt to say that there were very fine people on both sides of the Charlottesville rally. Like, why is there so much hatred in the conservative bubble over the teleprompter? And if you can't tell, I'm a little bit pissed off about this because everybody, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. Everybody has used the teleprompter in politics. It's just how you give your speeches. You write your speeches down, you put it in the teleprompter, and it plays it back for you so you don't have to completely memorize the whole thing. This is a very basic, integral part of speech making in politics that everybody uses. Why is there so much hatred for it in the conservative media bubble? I just don't get it. And if there is somebody out there who thinks they do get it, who thinks they know why there's so much hate for the teleprompter in conservative media, please, by all means, tell me, tag me in your Twitter post or Instagram or Facebook and let me know why that is. Because I, in all the time I've been talking about the conservative bubble, have not been able to fully figure it out. I guess it has something to do with Trump because he likes to go off of it. But that's as far as I've gotten. Other than that, I have no idea why they hate the teleprompter so much. Anyway, moving on to Ingram's show. She had Trump Jr. on, Donald Trump Jr., as opposed to Eric Trump earlier in the week. And he said pretty much everything you'd expect him to say about Biden. He didn't have one nice thing to say about his speech. Instead, he tried to talk about Joe Biden's swampy career and how he spent his entire life in politics and how that's a bad thing. And the interesting thing is, despite all of these attacks on his character and on his choice of profession, he didn't attack a single thing that Joe Biden said. He didn't attack a single thing that Joe Biden has done in his career. Why? I've already been through this before. It's because he can't. It's because Joe Biden is a decent, smart, human being, and he hasn't really done anything in his political career that would warrant some sort of attack on his character. The closest thing that they could do, and Trump Jr. harped on this constantly throughout the interview, is the whole Hunter Biden incident, which, of course, we all know is not true. It's completely made up, and there was no evidence of wrongdoing found by anybody involved. But you wouldn't know that if you were talking to Donald Trump Jr. because he went back to Hunter Biden once again and said something to the effect of Hunter Biden took $1.5 billion from China and $30 million in fees for basically nothing. And again, whenever the bubble mentions specific numbers, I always like to look them up because they wouldn't be giving these specific numbers out unless there was some sort of source for them. 
Unless, of course, you're Donald Trump and you just make them up in your head, like with the 51 million ballots. But anyway, I went on factcheck.org and looked up what he was talking about with this whole Hunter Biden in China thing. And what FactCheck found was that there was no evidence that any profit was made with the investments that Hunter Biden made in China. And there was no evidence of any wrongdoing by anybody involved whatsoever. Sounds familiar, right? But Trump Jr. just kept pressing this issue over and over and over throughout the interview. Again, not talking at all about the substance of the speech or Biden's policies, just trying to attack this whole disproved Hunter Biden thing. And then he said something that I'm going to end this coverage on, but I found it just completely hilarious and ironic. He said that Joe Biden's brother and his sister and his sons have all profited from his name and from his career. And I'm just like, really? You're going there? Donald Trump Jr. is lambasting Joe Biden and his family for making money off of his career and his name? Donald Trump Jr.? <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say to that. It's just completely hypocritical. Coming from the family who's literally made their entire fortune on their name. And it, it's just a microcosm of the entire Trump experience. We've done so many bad and evil things, and the only way we can justify it is by saying that you do those things too, even when you don't. So anyway, that was the coverage of the DNC by Fox News. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it gave you a little bit of insight into the conservative mindset. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and move on to the weirdest thing that I saw this week. And this week's award goes yet again to InfoWars. So when I was looking for stories on how people were covering the DNC, one of the sites I visited was InfoWars, and I didn't really expect them to have anything about the DNC, because pretty much all they dabble in is conspiracy theory stuff. And, you know, I was right. They didn't have anything about the DNC other than a couple of negative stories attacking Joe Biden. But what they did have, in prime position on the very front page, was a link to something that I can only describe as being one of the most incredible things that I've ever seen in my entire life. So this requires a little bit of backstory for those of you who don't know Alex Jones and what he does. So Alex Jones, in addition to being a talk show host on InfoWars, is widely known across political circles for saying very controversial and meme-worthy things. Probably the most infamous of which is, They're turning the friggin' frogs gay! So anyway, earlier this year, he had a segment in which he basically boasted that if the apocalypse were to come and he ran out of food, he'd eat his neighbors. Went something like, I'll admit it. I don't eat my neighbors. My kids aren't going hungry. You think I like sitting here talking about having to eat my neighbors? I'll do it. I'll chop his ass up. My kids aren't going hungry. I will eat your ass. And so obviously it's completely ridiculous that anyone would say anything like that, let alone on a national radio show that is supposed to be about politics. He's talking about having to eat his neighbors. And so naturally these comments went viral and all sorts of memes and things making fun of it broke out. And I'd seen some of those things and they're funny, but 
I hadn't seen anything like what I'm about to show you now. And keep in mind, this was given front page priority before any other story smack in the middle on Infowars.com. And I'm not even going to give you any more context. I'm just going to go ahead and play this for you. So sit back and enjoy the greatest thing that your ears have ever beholden, the Alex Jones Eats His Neighbors music video. I'll admit it. I'm not letting my kids die. I'm somebody that thought I could fix this, and I'm starting to think about having to eat my neighbor. I'm going to haul him up by a chain. I will eat your ass. I'll do it. You think I like sizing up my neighbor? Good scoop, chop his ass up. Yes, folks, this is real, and it is a music video, so if you haven't watched the video, which I highly, highly recommend you go do, let me describe what's going on for you. It's basically a claymation of Alex Jones in his studio doing all sorts of crazy dance moves, including break dancing and Gangnam style, even, along to the tune of this, dare I say, extremely catchy song about Alex Jones eating his neighbors. And yes, that is Alex Jones actually singing that. He basically took his voice and auto-tuned it to certain pitches so that he could sing the song. And it's, it's just amazing. It's so amazing. The internet is such an awesome place. And the funniest thing about this, though, is if you look up the person who made the video, first off, there's a part one of this where it's basically... A neighbor watching Alex Jones on his show saying he's going to eat his neighbors and then Alex Jones comes along like comes home and waves at the neighbor and you get the little horror kind of zoom in thing and they were like also funny but what's even more interesting about this is I'm not sure if this is meant to make fun of Alex Jones or to sort of entertain him or both but either way Infowars loved it so much that they actually put it on the front page of their site among all the other news articles. <laughs> but in any case, I love it. I think it's hilarious. And the guy who made this, it's called Infotunes. And if you go to his site, there's tons more videos about Infowars that he's done. Again, I'm not sure if he's doing it to make fun of Infowars or to promote it, but either way, they're all funny. It's all like claymation style. And if you want to check it out, you can. But this Alex Jones music video is the cream of the crop. It's amazing. It's my new ringtone now. And it's the weirdest thing that I saw this week. All right, folks, that wraps up our coverage of the DNC this week on Undercover Bubble. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a little something. And I hope you'll join me next week when I cover the RNC which is bound to have lots of interesting and not-so-factual things happening. So, stay safe, everyone. Let's not forget that there's a pandemic still going on. Practice your social distancing, wear your mask, and vote. Make sure that you encourage everyone you know to vote, too. So take care of yourselves, and I will see you all next week. Have a good one, folks. <laughs>